Begin transmission. Transmission. The Frontline Gaming Network presents Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. The Frontline Gaming Network presenting Art of War with Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Hello, Art of War family. Welcome back to the podcast. It's a brand new year. It's now 2021. Thank goodness this year is going to be better than last year. I'm pretty sure of it. As a matter of fact, I would put money on it. And to start off the new year right, Nick and I decided, we talked about this for a long time, that we wanted to do something a little different with the format. So this is going to be our first official attempt at a new format where we're going to do more of a dojo style. We're going to actually build a list from soup to nuts and this week we're featuring Death Watch, and it's going to be our very own Nick Nanavati building the list, but I'm even more excited about our guest. It's the one and only Steve Joel, my partner in crime from 40K Today. He's going to help us break down this discussion, ask really intelligent questions, because the man is a master. Steve, welcome to the show. Thank you, mate. I'm really, uh, I'm, I'm super pumped to be here. I'm not sure if I'm the soup or the nuts, but uh, I, I can't wait to get started. This is fun. This is going to be great. Definitely the nuts. <laughs> Joining us as always is the one and only Nick Nadavati, one of the very best players in all of 40K, the veritable Tom Brady of Warhammer 40,000. Nick, why don't you go ahead and say hi, Um, tell us a little bit about Steve, and let's get started talking about some Death Watch. How's it going, everybody? Steve, for those of you who don't know, just started his awesome podcast, 40K Game Changers, where he's going around interviewing uh, various People who've changed the game of 40K, whether it's community-based or tournament scene or painting or whatever it might be. Uh, if you have, or if you're an influencer in this hobby, Steve will be reaching out. So uh, he's a really great guy, and he's got a radio talk show host background. So who better to help conduct this interview than the one and only? Um, so be, give Steve a warm welcome. But we are here today to talk about me, myself, and I, and this wonderful, wonderful Death Watch list I've created. That's right. You heard me. I said Death Watch. What's up? What's up? So yeah, well, that, go ahead, Steve. No, I was going to ask why Death Watch. I know that uh, Nick has a, has a, a history, great history of you know switching around armies as they become strong. And the, but there are so many really good strong armies over the last little while in 40k. And thinking White Scars and Harlequins and even Death Guard and whatever else. Why Death Watch is the is the new codex supplement that strong in your eyes, Nick? Well, not on first glance. If I'm being honest with you, I really picked up the Death Watch book. Um, and I haven't seen anybody really talking about it. I think it's completely gone under the radar somehow, which is very strange because it is a Marine Army. Um, but I picked it up and I was like, you know what? I should have learned what this does. I should maybe put it on stream a couple times for our Art of War stream games and the War Room and whatnot. And I did. I played it one time so far and I literally fell in love. So I, when we were talking to John earlier about the, the ideas for new podcast formats, I, when we came up with this kind of list workshop idea, I was uh, I was like, why don't we guinea pig on the Death Watch? Because they're pretty sweet right now. Yeah, well, here's here's the other thing. And Nick, point of order. This is a dojo episode. We're literally called the Art of War podcast. We have an Asian theme. Please get on board, Please get on board with me. <laughs> I'm on board. We're the Art of War dojo. We got it. Art of War dojo. Here it is. The Art of War dojo. Um, so just for everybody's information, since this is a new format, one of the things we're going to talk about, at least to begin the discussion, is how do you approach ninth edition with death watch what how, what's your overall strategy now normally we would talk to somebody and say are you going to be aggressive early we know nick is not going to be aggressive because that's just not in his dna but so nick let's let's talk about it a little bit tell us a little bit how like how are you going to approach winning the game of a game of ninth edition in just any random scenario because obviously you got to play to play them all um going first going second whatever uh like what are your overall goals what is going to be the overall sort of I guess, yeah, the the overall beats for the list. The overall beats. So, Death Watch, uh, whenever I pick up an army, and this is more Death Watch, Harlequin, Sisters, Chaos, whatever it might be, this is how the approach I, I take. And my approach might not work for everybody, but it works for me. So, I try to give it a first read through and figure out what the army is naturally good at. So, when you first read the Death Watch book, you kind of have a baseline for what Space Marines do, presumably. Uh, so space marines are just like well-statted people with good strats and everyone's opsec if you take rights of war and uh that's what they do which is really efficient um 
And then Death Watch, they they crank that up a notch. They're like, let's take our bolters and give them special issue ammo and stuff like that. Let's take all of our elite units, the aggressors, the plasma scepters, all eradicators, and then let's put them into kill teams so they can become troop choices. You can make an army out of a lot of these things. And you're like, how is this not broken, right? Like, this sounds really, really good. Because then when you realize when you start building Death Watch lists, you're quickly at 3,700 points in this 2,000-point <laughs> game. Yeah. So after you get over your initial little love fest, this is exactly what happened to me, um, of like, everything is awesome with Death Watch, you kind of have to put it, take a step back and uh, figure out what's actually worth bringing in, in your list when you can't take literally everything. So let's start with what makes Death Watch unique. I, I always like to start there. Like, why, why am I playing Blood Angels versus why am I playing Imperial Fist? What are the differences between those two chapters? What are their strengths? And what can I accentuate? So with Death Watch, their whole niche is the kill team. Uh, they have various different kinds of kill teams. Uh, one is made of veterans and then the kind of elite space marine type of body. So you start with five veterans, that they're called, and then you can add any number of uh, between... So it's a five minion to start, five veterans, and then you can add up to five more veterans to get to a 10-man, just like anybody else. Or you could add a combination of one to five Terminators, one to five veteran bikes, one to five Vanguard vets, etc. So you can have a 10-man unit of Death Watch that looks like five veterans, one Vanguard vet, one bike, one Terminator, and one this guy. So why is this good? Where, where does this become good? This just sounds overwhelming because all the options in one place. Well, I think why this is good is because it, Death Watch have a few things going for them, aside from their enormous array of special and heavy weapons they can take access to. I'll touch on that in a second. Fundamentally, when you take these mixed squads, it lets you do things no other army can, can do. So you can take five veterans as your base core unit and then, say, units like five additional Terminators to it. And then because the veterans can take whatever heavy weapons or special weapons they want for the most part, there's a list. Basically everything in the Space Marine Codex is on it. Um, so you could take a unit of five veterans with four missile launchers, kind of like a pseudo-devastator squad. Take three Terminators with Cyclone missile launchers on them. So now you have ten missile launcher shots coming out of this unit. A Vanguard veteran, and why the Vanguard veteran is key here is because it makes your unit... It gives you access to a stratagem, which says if your unit contains at least a Vanguard veteran one Vanguard veteran, you can fall back and shoot. That's a Death Watch-specific stratagem. And then you could take like another Terminator with a Thunderhammer and Storm Shield to kind of tank a little bit. So this unit has got a lot of durability. It's five Terminators with a Thunder... It's four Terminators, Thunderhammer and Storm Shield guy. That Vanguard vet could take a Storm Shield. All your veterans are taking missile launchers, pumping out 10 missile launcher shots, right? And then it's, it's durable, it's tough, it shoots well. It can fall back and shoot. This is just a good unit. You can also combat squad and do all kinds of different things. So you can make a half-shooty, half-assault unit. So you could take five Death, Death Watch veterans, give them four heavy bolters. This is a relatively cheap squad. Uh, not to say it's very cheap, but it's relatively cheap for Death Watch. Then take like uh, four veteran bikers and a vanguard vet and then combat squad and you know the way you're combat squatting is you're going to put those five heavy bolter dudes in one pocket and then the fast bikes and vanguard vet and the other and again the reason you're specifically going with that breakdown of four bikes and a vanguard vet is because you want that efficiency that the bike gives you it's fast it's tough it's uh if it's in a kill team, which is a really interesting rule, the bike actually counts as infantry for the purposes of acting, interacting with terrain. So that means you have the best bikes in the game because they can walk through walls and stuff like that and benefit from cover saves like everybody else. So this unit's really awesome. And then that Vanguard vet is what you need to actually make it count as infantry because it has to have an infantry guy attached to it. So there's all kinds of units. The sky's the limit with here. And that's, that's really the crux of what so makes Death Watch. Before we get too crazy, now obviously, this is going to be like an 18-hour podcast, I can tell already. I'm going to try to keep it quick. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. But um, So those veteran squads, do they count as your troops? Yes. So Death Watch, uh, any of the kill teams, these are called kill teams. So this is a veteran kill team or whatever it's called, uh, made of veterans plus those more elite kind of Space Marine models. Uh, this is a troop choice. They have other kill teams as well. Um, let me see if I can find the name here. I'm just pulling up the codex. Yeah, okay. We got the Proteus kill team, Fortis kill team, Indominus and Spectrus kill team. So there's four kill teams. Each of them are centered around Primaris bodies. So the first one is your stock um, 
Oh, the Proteus kill team is your Vanguard, is your veteran one. I'm sorry. Fortis kill teams is your stock. Like, here's my five intercessors to start out, and then I can add any combination of models six through ten of more intercessors, assault intercessors, outriders, or hellblasters. So very similarly, you could do like four outriders and a dude, and then they have four outriders with obsec and walking through walls all of a sudden. Uh, you could do something like. Uh, well, I'll hold off on that thought because there's some really good thoughts to have in a second here. I've, I've um, got a question on the on the makeup of the units. When you've got a biker and a terminator in the same unit, how far do they move? Each model moves at its own individual rate. So that gets clunky. Then you have to be very mindful and diligent about actually playing this army. It's a very kind of high skill ceiling type of list I've found. So uh, well, you're right. When you do have different movement characteristic models in your same unit, that's annoying to deal with. That's another reason I really love emphasizing the use of combat squads here because you have the better coherency rules, lets you manage having a model that moves 14 inches and a model that moves 5 inches a little bit easier. Um, I also try to keep units in the same move bracket. So, like, I don't hate mixing a Vanguard veteran with four Outriders or four bikes, for example. That dude moves 12, the bikes move 14, plus they have the, the length of their base on the Outriders is quite large, so I could chain back a Vanguard vet pretty easy. In the second example, like four Outriders plus an Assault Intercessor, it's a little harder. 14-inch move on the bikes, 6-inch move on the guy. If I want to make use of the 6-inch auto advance that Outriders have, that dude still has to roll. Um, I'm actually not sure if that means the unit, if the whole unit is slowed by that answer. I'll have to check that, but... That the tricks there are basically making sure you plan ahead, uh, keep your assault intercessor, whoever's slow in the front of the unit, the bikes in the back of the unit. So when they jet out their full speed, and then they use their two inch coherency plus their like two inch base plus their two inch coherency plus their two inch base, it only like two outriders is trailing a little bit back. It's not even that noticeable. That's basically how you get the movement done. The other, uh, sorry, the other question while we're dealing with mixed units, and stop me if I'm jumping ahead here, but. Uh, again, uh, dealing with something like toughness, if you've got T4 and T5 models uh, in the same unit, then are uh, you having to roll for or declare who you're rolling for when you're, say, saving different models? So there, there's a lot of lot of tech here as well. Uh, this is such a deep army that I'm going through it. But uh, uh, it's based on majority toughness when your opponent is rolling to damage you. So like if you have three Terminators or three bikes at T5 and then two Intercessors at T4, you know, your unit is majority T5, so that's also a consideration when you're designing your units. When you're allocating wounds in 40k, once a model starts taking saves, it has to keep taking saves until it dies or the phase ends. So, in that earlier example I gave where you could take a 10-man Death Watch veteran unit with uh, four heavy bolter guys, and then a dude, the sergeant, and then uh, four bikes and a vanguard vet. You could, instead of taking one of those bikes, take a Terminator. And this is what I actually do, and I give him a Thunderhammer Storm Shield. So I have one kill team that's four heavy bolter dudes and a Thunderhammer Storm Shield Terminator, and then I have another kill team that's uh, three bikes, a vanguard veteran, and a sergeant because he's a sergeant from the original kill team because the sergeant couldn't take a heavy bolter, and I give him probably like a Thunderhammer or something cool. So I use the tricks we were just talking about to move, keeping those bikes in coherency with a relatively slow walking guy, using things like a 2D6 charge, plus a 3-inch pylon, plus a 3-inch consolidate, potentially a chaplain's canical hator, potentially, uh, to really get that Thunderhammer swinging close combat. And then my other kill team, the four heavy bolters and the Terminator dude, they're just going to be sitting back and shooting and like, if anyone's ever tried to kill Thunderhammer Storm Shield Terminator in cover, it's like really hard. And from like a, a 36 inch range bracket where the heavy bolters are kind of hanging out, they, um, you know, it's just not really going to happen unless you put way more firepower than a unit of four heavy bolters is worth to attack. So I like that from a little fire support kind of base. And everything in this army is obsec because your whole army is going to be comprised of these kill teams and they're all troops. Now, the other thing I've got to ask, and forgive me if I've misunderstood here, but if you have, say, a unit of 10, you've started off with your five guys and then you've added five more, and say all five of those are bikes, can you then combat squad them so you've got the five bikes who can still go through walls because they've, they're combat squatted? Uh -huh. uh, uh, you, you, can't, you have to have, and I believe this is an FAQ that came out just days ago, um, so maybe don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure this how it works. You have to have at least one infantry model with your bikes in order to make them count as infantry. Right. So you can't just be cheeky in combat you can't, squad. Yeah, you can't take <laughs> five vets, five bikes, and have two units that are just obsec and moving through walls. Nah. Right, okay. 
Um, but there are other kill teams too. So the Indominus kill team is your one that starts off with uh, five heavy intercessors, which GW just previewed their model for, so that's on the horizon. Um, and then you can take, again, the one to five extra of uh, more heavy intercessors, aggressors, inceptors, or eradicators. This is the other bread and butter unit that I've been taking with my Death Watch. Uh, just real simple, five heavy intercessors, five plasma inceptors, done. What this unit does is it's really tough. Like, I don't know if you've ever tried to kill five plasma inceptors, but what about five plasma inceptors with five more bullet catchers of the same profile standing right in front of them? It's, it's really annoying. Because um, they have the strats for, in, like, plus one save against damage on weapons. They have transhuman. You have your apothecary, because you're still playing space marines. It's a nightmare. And all of a sudden, we now have a plasma inceptor, you know, which I'm sure everyone knows how powerful they are, that doesn't really die. And Plasma Scepters, much like the Vanguard Vet to the Kill Team, the Plasma Scepter to the, in, in the Primaris line is the guy who lets you fall back and shoot So with the stratagem. So like this unit just falls back and shoots. You can, of course, combat squad it. I wouldn't recommend combat squatting at 5 and 5, 5 Heavy Incestors, 5 Plasma Scepters, because then you're not really making use of your Death Watch rules. You're just taking a unit of 5 Heavy Intercessors and a unit of 5 Plasma Scepters. I would recommend, if you want a combat squad, go... Three of like three plasma scepters and two intercessors in one, and then the inverse of the other. And then you have these kind of small plasma scepter squads that are quite expensive, but they don't really die. Like, if you see two or three plasma scepters on your opponent's side of the board, you're going to shoot them. Easy to kill, relatively, and immediate return on investment for doing damage to them. Now, with these mixed squads, it's like, oh, I have to kill like two guys that I don't care about before I get to plasma scepters. This sucks. And these guys are not easy to kill. Then, uh, and I like to, this is kind of how my brain works, I don't know about everyone, but I like to be reading my strats, my warlord traits, my relics simultaneously and thinking about combos while designing the units in my army, because realistically, your units in a vacuum without those extra buffs from psychic power, strats, warlord traits, etc., they're just not indicative of how good they potentially could be. So to get an accurate description, let's start thinking about this. So you could be combining this with the uh, psychic power, and Death Watch have amazing psychic powers. We'll cover them in a bit too. Uh, fortified with Contempt, which gives a unit five up feeling of pain. So five up feeling of pain on thirty Gravis wounds at T five that come back to life from Apothecary. I, I'm not making this up when I said I put it in front of an Admech army for two turns and it survived. Wow, it was limping, but it survived. And so in in this case, and then I guess in mixed squads, you're going to pick uh, depending on the matchup, and we'll get to that later on, but. Uh, you're going to be able to say, well, look, I, I care more about these guys than those guys in that unit. So and you've kind of, you've almost got the old Black Templar uh, situation of you've got the meat shields in front and you're just going to go, well, those guys all die and I'm going to keep my important guys alive by having them all in the same squad. Very much so. Yeah. That's uh, so I'll, in my list that I ran, and we'll get to kind of different ideas and list concepts. Uh, I ran a two 10-man units with five heavy intercessors, five plasma scepters total. And I combat squatted one of those, so I had two like small-ish medium plasma scepter units with heavy intercessor shields, and then one 10-man brick, which I just kept putting fuel and pain onto. Is there ever a situation in which the intercessors are going to be more important than the plasma inceptors? Probably not, right? Not that I can conceptualize. <laughs> I mean, no. like the, where they would be is that they have obsec, but so do the plasma scepters in this army. Right, right. So they are literally the intercessors are just there as really hard to kill shields for the inceptors who are just doing a lot of damage. Yeah, and I don't, I don't want to. I want you guys to understand. Like, I did push this concept. Like the initial, very first draft after reading the Death Watch list, and was like, well. Uh, reading the Death Watch Codex, it was like, well, I can just spam plasma scepters, right? Because exactly what you just said, Steve. There's, is there ever a situation where an intercessor is better than an obsec plasma inceptor? And the answer is really no. So why don't I just take the plasma inceptors or just take the best thing I can times X until I hit 2,000 points? And that was one of my first iterations. It started with like 27 plasma inceptors or something. It was absurd. Um, but the more you kind of break it down, I guess we'll cover this in the matchup section, is there's things that that army, as broken as it sounds, fundamentally just won't deal with. You've just brought a really big hammer, and I always say this, this from a toolbox perspective of list writing, you want a toolbox, you don't want just a hammer, because sometimes you need a screw, or sometimes you need a wrench. A hammer is not going to solve a wrench. Okay, that's cool. <clears throat> so let's let's talk about this a little bit. So we've got an idea like of all the 
the different flexibility you have in building your list. So let's start with the basic question. Where do you start? Are we, are we building, you know, I was, we're obviously not building a brigade, right? <laughs> right. So are we doing a battalion? Are we doing a patrol? Like what, what are your thoughts there? Like as far as um, right. Right. army organization. So um, especially with space Marines, I, I don't really entertain the ideas of like brigades or anything like that. Um, you don't need your command points in Space Marines, but they really do help your quality of life. And you want to spend a lot before the game starts on just Warlord traits and relics, typically. So a good rule of thumb for Space Marines is don't waste your command points on detachments. Um, Space Marines are elite enough that you don't have an issue of running out of points or running out of good units to take in your own det- in one detachment. So for example, if I'm playing Harlequins and I want to take a Shadow Seer, a Troop Master, and six units of troops, but I only want to do it in one detachment um, to ser- conserve command points. Well, I just took all the stuff I wanted to take, and I only filled 1,100 points, and I have 900 points of stuff I don't want to take in that army. Space Marines don't, especially Death Watch, don't have that problem because all of their stuff is troops. A battalion will give you six troop choices. Um, you don't really need more than three HQs, although I'll, I'll go through the HQs in a minute. Uh, and then because the nature of Death Watch, you're not even pretending you have fast attacks, heavies, or elites. Not to say you couldn't take them, but uh, that's not going to be a concern for you. So I think one battalion is a great starting place. And then we get to the question of what are each, what are your HQs? So um, the first thing you'll notice in the Death Watch Codex, as far as data sheets go, is the Watchmaster. The Watchmaster is basically a Death Watch chapter master. He kind of sucks. He huh. it, he doesn't suck stat-wise. Like he's pretty much, uh, you know, he hits on twos. He's six wounds, four attacks, two up armor, four up invul. Like this is good stuff. But he moves six inches, and his weapon in close combat is D three damage. So it's not bad. It's but he's certainly no smash captain in combat, and he's not really getting anywhere meaningful with six inch moves. So he's not an assault beat stick. He's got a okay gun but it's not like he's mag and raw he's gonna he's, he's got a like a good bolter whatever so what does he do why is he here well he's the only way you can get a chapter master in death watch you can't just take a captain give him a thunder hammer storm shield and buy him a chapter master upgrade that's like a special rule every chapter in space marines has different units they can't include for fluff reasons i assume it's like death watch can't include chapter masters or scouts or anything like that uh, or a lot of the basic marines like tacticals and devastators as whereas like uh, black templars can't take librarians for example so there's a lot of opportunity cost with and without taking the watchmaster surrounding that so let's say you want to go back in time and take that missile launcher game to 10 missile launchers with terminators everywhere and fall back and shoot that's really powerful especially again we're going to go back into the whole circle when you combine it to the with the warlord traits for ignores cover which i'm trying to find the name of it is an aura of ignores cover optimized priority basically death watch units within six inches of your character ignore cover it's amazing cover is really powerful um so i also like that on the heavy bolters but in this case it's the missiles then you could take paragon of the chapter which is a really interesting warlord trait it's a death watch warlord trait that lets you steal the warlord trait of any other space marine chapter and just take it. Uh, it's got to be from the generic Space Marine Codex. So you can't go digging deep into the Blood Angels. They only have one in the Space Marine Codex. So you can only take that one. But the one for Dark Angels in the Space Marine Codex is called Brilliant Strategist, which lets you take a unit and whatever doctrine you're in lets you count it as one doctrine earlier. So if you're in Tactical Doctrine, you can count as in Heavy. If you're in Assault Doctrine, you can count as Tactical, etc. So let's take this 10 missile launcher unit, right? We got 10 missile launchers. We're going to give them ignore cover. And we're going to count them as Dev Doctrine for three turns of the game. And let's keep in mind Death Watch's mono faction rule here, which is you can choose. This is like how Blood Angels get an extra attack in Assault Doctrine or White Scars get extra damage in Assault Doctrine. Death Watch don't get any of that. They get to choose which turn of the game they're in which Doctrine. So I don't have to start in Dev, then move to Tactical, then move to Assault. I could start in Assault Doctrine just to burn one and then save Devastator for turns two, three, and four when I'm going to be in line of sight and then really lay the pound town on it. So I can do that, make Dev Doctrine happen on turn two, go to Tactical on turn three, use Brilliant Strategist to make the 10 missiles go back to Devastator for turn three, go to Tactical, stay in Tactical on turn four, 
Use Brilliant Strategy again to make the 10 missiles. AP3 in yours cover on turn four. So there's really powerful stuff you can do here. But this unit's going to suffer the minus one to hit religiously. You know, it's, it doesn't ignore it natively. And it's infantry that probably needs to walk around buildings to get angles and stuff. People have special rules that are minus one to hit all over the place. Forests are a terrain feature. So I'm just going to assume this unit is going to be hitting on force. Which means I really, really, really want to take a chapter master to help it out here. And this is where I take the watch master. If I have a unit that I'm building around. Otherwise, I think just a normal captain, real ones, or a will suffice. Let me ask you, Nick, can I go back to the, uh, the, the special rule that Death Watch have? Because I know that uh, they can choose where they want to do it, but they can still only do, say, uh, Devastator Doctrine once. They can do Tactical Doctrine twice. They can do Assault three times. So uh, does that override, does the uh, brilliant strategist override that rule of only being able to, say, do Devastator Doctrine one time? Yeah, so the rules don't actually interact like that. Yeah, basically, the order of which you can do them, uh, like any Space Marine army can only do Devastator once. Any Space Marine army could theoretically only do Tactical twice or theoretically only do Assault three times. And if you try to do them all, that's six turns of 40k in a five-turn game. You know, So um, what the Brilliant Strategist does is it lets you select a unit in your army. So you're not like selecting a doctrine for your entire faction to be in. You're selecting a unit in your army, and that unit takes the benefits of the doctrine that was one lower in your army. So I will still choose tactical doctrine on turn three or turn four or five or whatever, and then make my one unit move back a notch. So in the in the situation or in the in, in most of the uh units you've been talking about, like the heavy intercessors and inceptors and the all the missiles, it seems like assault doctrine isn't gonna be something you want to spend a lot of time in. Well, that's the thing. So there's a lot of different um, styles to Death Watch. Like, I'm just describing some ideas I've had, but I've also had Death Watch assault armies. Like, all these veterans that I'm giving missile launchers to and stuff, I could be giving them thunder hammers, you know, or something like that, and lightning claws and storm shields. So you can make an army of vanguard vets with lightning claws and storm shields and make them troops. And that's just really good. That is a tough-to-remove unit. That is obsec. With combat squads, there are many of them. They are very fast. So I'm not saying this is the way to play Death Watch. I, I'm saying there's a lot to explore with this list, I guess. And, you know, as far you, as you assault, kind of pick a direction and go. As far as assault goes, Nick, is there a way to make them advance and charge? Oh, there's so many. So <laughs> <laughs> let's, uh, let's go through it. So one of the raven guard warlord traits actually i don't think it's the one you can take never mind i was going to say that one of the raven guard warlord traits is advanced and charge but it's not the generic one i don't believe so you can't take that there is a stratagem for two command points which i use often which lets you take a unit and swap out the death watch chapter tactic which is basically reroll ones to wound uh it's more roundabout than that but it's functionally reroll ones to wound a lot of the time kind of like having built-in lieutenants Swap that out and replace it with the chapter tactic of any other Space Marine chapter. So <laughs> two CP, I'm turning into White Scars. Yeah, that, cool. that seems yeah. pretty good. Or Space Marines two CP, I'm going to fall back and shoot. Um, so your whole army, if you design it right, should be able to fall back and shoot and fall back and charge uh, based on the situation. So Space Marine Ultramarines can fall back and charge. White Scars can fall. Oh, sorry, Ultramarines can fall back and shoot. White Scars can fall back and charge, so you can always just pick a unit to do that. Any unit that you have that has a fly model in it, Vanguard, Vetter, Plasma, Scepter, can fall back and shoot for one command point. That's another stratagem they have. Any unit you have that contains a biker can fall back and charge. So depending on the types of units you have, you really do want to include at least one or one of these tech pieces. So like in this 10-man missile launcher unit, I put a Vanguard Vet in, so I had access to that strat that cost me one command point instead of two. It's two CP to switch your chapter tactic, one CP to just fall back and shoot with a fly dude. Um, and if I want to do it twice, like maybe I have this missile launcher unit over here and a plasma inceptor unit over there, and I want them both to fall back and shoot, I can now. So there's a lot of reasons to include these tech pieces and not just take the best thing you can and spam it out. Well, I mean, the other thing that that Vanguard vet gives you is, an, you know, somebody, you can give him a short storm shield, I'm sure, right? Which allows. Oh, for sure. He's, they got all the same rules as the Codex Space Marine Vanguard vets. Right. That's so where they, they come from. They, so they just take, you know, that last cannon shot. And you're like, ah, take on this Vanguard vet I don't care about all that much, right? This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. 
No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends you new cartridges, so you never have to think about ink. Save up to 50%. You'll pay less than $5 a month for ink and never run out again. Find out if your printer is eligible and enroll today at hpinstantink.com. Conditions apply. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Okay. So, go ahead, Steve. No, I was just sorry. I was just going to say it feels like if we almost go back right to the beginning of what John was asking. So if I'm sitting down and writing a list and this is what we're doing in the dojo, right? We're kind of building a list. If we go right back to the beginning, it feels like we're going to go, in most cases, you're going to have to say, right, do I want my list to be rock solid, immovable, it's going to survive anything, it might not do a lot of damage, but it's going to survive? Or do I want my list to be super fast? Like for me, I love building lists that are just going to be able to, you know, build around that uh, getting to all four table quarters and earning points by being fast and reactive? Or uh, are we building a list to be super damage dealing and you're going to throw it at the opposition and it might die, but by then you'll have so many points you don't care. Is that the starting point for building a list? And if it is, in with Death Watch, do you even have to do that? Or have you got so much flexibility by, by combining things in the same units that you don't have to worry about that as much? That's a great question. So when I write lists, I, I, I like to pick a concept. And it's like you said, Steve, I like to either pick, I'm going to be really durable. If I was coming to you with a Dark Angel list, I'd say, I'm going to be really durable and pick things that make sense with being really durable. If I was playing White Scars or Blood Angels, I'd pick things that are assault-oriented and fast and board controlly. In Death Watch, given all of the, uh, the stratagems and utility and just nature of their codex, it's the ultimate toolbox army, which is why I love it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a unit or an army of units that let me switch my game plan based on my opponent. Kind of like jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none, but whatever I do, I'm going to tailor for my specific opponent. Let me explain that. So I just kind of gave Dark Angels an example of an incredibly durable army. Death Watch can become incredibly durable. I was just explaining like the five-man Inceptor heavy intercessor units with feeling pain. That's very Dark Angel Terminator-esque. We have those heavy bolter squads with the Storm Shield Terminator in it. You got the Apothecary. There's You are durable. This is the baseline. You're not unkillable like the Dark Angels are. So how do you... You can't fight a rock with a smaller rock. You know, it's just not going to work. So that's where you're like, all right, I'm not going to put my emphasis on the fact that I can be really durable in this army, in this matchup. I'm going to take other units in my list, like those Vanguard vets and those bike squads that are really fast and OPSEC, then put the emphasis on them. So instead of putting my strats and resources on transhuman and stuff like that, I'm going to put my strategy, my strats, my psychic powers, and my resources on making sure I can deliver objective-secured bikes to exactly the right place to make sure I can win the mission in this case. And I'll play engage on all fronts, and I'll steal the objectives, and I'll do that kind of game. In the game I played against Sieg's Zadmek in the War Room, I was playing against a very shooty Admech army with some Electro Priest countercharge. So I was like, well, I'm going to lean really deep into my durability and engage you in a firefight, which I actually ended up winning. So uh, two different approaches to two different matchups, and that's why I love Death Watch. So I think the key here from a list-building standpoint is to be able to not get tunnel vision to 27 plasma scepters, which I did, and then focus more on taking a variety of powerful units that can do a lot of different things. And that's where Combat Squads helps you a lot. All right. So, well, let's let's yeah, get started. Yeah. Let's get started building because we're thirty five minutes in and we have not started building a list. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> we have laid the groundwork to have a discussion around building a list. So let's start off first. Um, battalion, then is that what we're doing? Yeah. So I think we're going to go battalion. Uh, I really think we should include psychers because Death Watch have phenomenal psychic powers. So just list them off. I already listed the one that gives you five of pain. Here's the other ones I really like. There's one. Uh, any Overwatch attacks are made by unit. His score hits on fives instead of sixes. That's neat, and it can stack with defensible. So, like, if you're in a ruin, you can just make plasma scepters overwatching on fours. Really good. Uh, you also, uh, it also counts as a fight last, fight first power. I'm sorry. So, if your unit is already engaged with an enemy models, you can just uh, cast on the unit. You fight first, which is really useful. And you add plus one to that to your unit's uh, attacks and hit in close combat. So, if I'm going to charge you, 
uh, with some Vanguard vets or whatever. I'm just going to hit you on twos, re-rolling ones instead of threes, re-rolling ones. Just nice. It's a really good quality life power. Um, we have Neurovoid, which is minus one attack, which I cast onto the enemy unit. And this is the really good part. Each time a charge is declared for that unit, only the closest enemy unit, and remember, you're casting this onto the enemy, so only the closest of your units can be declared as a charge target. So if I have, say, my whole army right in front of these Electro Priests, which is what happened, and I put like a unit kind of close to those Electro Priests, they can't multi-charge. They can't bypass that unit. They are just charging that unit of whatever I don't care about. So I can just stall units really well with that. Now, hold on. Can't your opponent play around that by shooting the closest unit until they can charge the thing they want to close? Because absolutely, of- absolutely. But it doesn't it does say it's visible, and it does force them to shoot stuff. So if I have like two company vets or four servitors or something I just don't care about behind a wall next to Electro Priests, and my opponent doesn't have indirect fire, I guess that's what those Electro Priests would do in this turn. That's funny. Yeah, <laughs> that's really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you've heard though, Nick, that librarians are, are not cool anymore because uh, everybody wants to be able to take that um, uh, that uh, secondary to be able to witch. just abhor the witch. Yeah. Well, you know, I think well, I, I think that's silly to not take librarians uh, because of abhor the witch's power. I mean, like chaos still takes psychers. Grey Knights is still a really strong faction. People do take psychers; they are good, especially if you don't take three and there's no other, you know, non. Psyker stuff's in this army. It's uh, your opponent works really hard to kill two librarians to get ten points. It's okay, but at what point are you losing two librarians when you're tabled? The last power Death Watch have actually. Before we do that, let me finish running through Neural Void, which is the one I just mentioned. Um, it's also really good kind of late game for keeping said librarians alive because what often happens when a close combat unit breaks through your lines, like Repentia or Harlequins or anything scary. And they've gotten through your screens, and you're like, oh, man, he's going to kill like four characters in one go here. If you have Neural Void up, even if the character is the closest, even if you're not screening and doing nonsense with servitors or company that's whatever, they can still only declare a charge on one unit, not three, not four. So it really limits how powerful these combat Death Stars like Repentia or Terminators or things that your opponent is really banking on doing a lot of damage, you've limited to one unit's worth of damage. And with combat squads all over the place, it's not even that effective. Um, the last light power I really like is Mantle of Shadow, which is a unit you cast onto your own Death Watch infantry squad. So uh, basically what this means is if you if you don't shoot or charge with your own units, like I cast on five intercessors, and then those intercessors don't shoot or charge. They mind their own business. They can still do actions, mind you. Um, the enemy cannot shoot them unless they are within 12 inches of that unit or it is the closest visible unit. So closest eligible unit, I'm sorry. So what I would do is I would take my super powerful brick of like five plasma scepters and five heavy intercessors and put that out front, put them in cover, do my stuff, make them really hard to kill funeral pain, and then take a unit of who cares what, put it on my backfield objective, make it do an action or something, make it unshootable, and now my opponent simply can't shoot them off the objective. Like how much of 40k is based around the objectives are in the open. I'm going to go hold it, but if I do, I get shot. What if you don't get shot anymore? That I seems mean, that's, amazing. That's it's really, really powerful weird. because you take the uh, you take the initiative away from your opponent, right? Now they have to come to you in order yeah. to interact with you. Um, and and coming even a little towards you in this like mid-range space marine army, I'm thinking like plasma scepters, vanguard vets, assault advanced and charging armies. If you walk into that squiggly line 24-inch bracket, you are you are in for a world of pain, and I'm basically making you. And it's it's uh, these psychic powers you're talking about are super powerful in that. And again, you guys deal at a way higher level than I do. But it seems to me that anytime you are basically telling the other player how he has to play the game, you're in control, right? You're saying you can only charge this unit, and you can only shoot that unit, and that's it. Um, yeah. And you're, in, and you're in command of the way they have to play. You're not really doing damage to my army because uh, it's just tougher than you really can muster to kill it at range. Uh, armies just don't have the range firepower to pick up Death Watch. And in that short-range bracket, I'm pretty sure I'll win those short-range fights, assuming my stuff works, because I'm limiting what you can shoot. I'm limiting what you can charge. I also have a million great models, because Space Marines 
and everybody's OPSEC. So if we're boxing over objectives in the midfield, I'm basically playing custodies when I want to be. Okay. So there's so, a lot going on here. So if we're going to build a list, let's talk about the elements that you want to have to be successful in ninth edition, right? So you, you, you've alluded to all of this, but you have to have units that can hold objectives. You have to have units that can move, right? That have a little bit of movement to them so they can get to enemy objectives and contest them or steal them if they're OPSEC, which obviously Death Watch is good at. Uh, you probably have to have some way to kill some of your opponent's stuff. Uh, that can be guns or thunderhammers, as you've said. Um, so, I mean, those are sort of the elements that you need, right? In ninth edition, is there anything that I missed? Yeah, I think you need you need tempo is the is the key you you missed there. You need to have, you need to be able to initiate trade wars with your opponent that are not disfavorable to you. So by that, I mean, let's say I have my army standing behind my wall in my deployment zone, and then you have your army standing behind your wall in your deployment zone, and we're in this stalemate. So that stalemate will often be broken by who has secondaries that require them to not do much. Like, while we stand, we fight, for example. I'm pretty sure if I make a Death Watch army out of nothing but veterans and kill teams, my most expensive models will be three HQs or two HQs in the Apothecary. So I have, while we stand, we fight pretty locked up until my opponent does something about it. Then to go out there and hold that objective means stepping out from behind your wall, right? And if you're going to step out from behind your wall, you're in the danger zone. So typically, people will try to do this by throwing out, like, I'm going to put five whatever crappy scouts or you know something inconsequential on this objective just to contest it, make my opponent use resources to kill it, and then I can then kill whatever resources he exposed. So like, I put out five scouts, you respond to five scouts with uh, a Terminator unit, I get to now interact and kill your Terminator unit, for example. So Deathwatch get around that as well, because we can just hold objectives without being shot, and we're pretty fast if we just take a bunch of bikes. I so mean, You can't technically hold it without being shot because you have to have something in front that can be shot. Well, okay, that's that's true. But right. if I make that thing that's being shot so absurdly hard to kill yeah, through I, Thunder Hammer, Storm Shield Cover, and Funeral Pain, and then Revival, I yeah, don't yeah, care. Yeah. No, no, I understand that, but we just need to make that distinction for yeah, our, course, our, newer, our newer listeners. Okay, so I think the list starts with the mission. The mission is I'm better at a primary objective than you. My whole army's obsec and doesn't really get shot. And I'm better at secondaries than you because I just start with while we stand, we fight. Pretty good. So what other secondaries are you going to design for? A lot of people will take um, things that make scramblers easy to do. Like, like what, is, what are you thinking as far as... I th uh, yeah, so I think one thing that's really easy to lose sight of with Death Watch is that they... They're really elite, right? Which is obvious, uh, which means they don't have screens. And the way I'd like to supplement my lack of screens would actually be Scout Storms. I love Scout Storms. I think they're one of the best units in the game that no one looks at. Deathwatch can't take Scouts. So that idea is shot. How I want to do it is actually with more elite stuff, with Infiltrators. Uh, because they simultaneously screen naturally with their Omni Scramblers rule. I don't have to take them and kill teams. I'm like, good. Um, but that means... The Spectral Tilt Kill Team, which starts with the Infiltrators, lets me take Eliminators and things like that. Just don't really see the point to it right now, but maybe in the future. Um, but then they also unlock Guerrilla Tactics, which is an amazing Space Marine strat that lets you take your unit, put it in their strategic reserves, and then it basically outflanks that same turn. So I can use that to get engaged in all fronts on various turns or uh, deploy Scramblers towards the late game in my opponent's deployment zone. So I like to build with at least engaging all fronts and deploy scramblers as like a safety net for secondaries. And then if I can also do while we stand, we fight, now I have 40 out of 45 points in secondaries. I have a plan for it, at least. Um, and it's pretty solid. You know, and the way your list is built, too, I think there, there's an argument that you can get attrition a lot of times, right? Oh, for sure. If I, I, and again, this is if I take an army, and like the, let's just use the one um, I played against Seas as an example, which was basically a captain, two librarians, one of which I actually made the chief librarian because my powers are so good I did not want to risk not passing them, so I gave him the plus one to cast Warlord Trait. And then I took four kill teams, two big veteran kill team squads, and then two big Plasma Inceptor Ince uh, Intercessor squads, like I explained earlier, and then just a unit of five infiltrators. That was the list, more or less. And that army was... If I don't combat squad, that army is made of five units and three characters, or four characters. There's Apothecary, too. 
So grind them down. If you took any chaff whatsoever, I'm just crushing you on that one. Whole army's obsec. So if I get an, uh, a mission where the objectives are kind of on my side, like the the mission overrun where I start with three in my zone, you start with three in your zone. I'm just gonna take banners and plant. That's 15 points. You're never gonna knock me out. I'm obsec and tough. So there's again, it's a giant toolbox, and it's on you as the player to figure out which tool is necessary for that situation. Is I think the way you want to build Death Watch. Okay. While we're cool. talking about HQs, uh, if we're talking about the captain and a, a, you need a couple of librarians because there are so many amazing powers to cast. You really yeah, have I, I to spread them across yeah. a couple. What about the chaplain? Um, you know, the chaplain being able to... Uh... Oh, the chaplain's great also. I think it comes down to cuts, right? So um, I, I liked... I played Double Librarian as an experiment. I loved it. So I think moving forward, my ideas are going to start with Double Librarian. I'm going to keep Chief Librarian because, again, I just never want to fail these powers. It's never like... Uh, I can live without Neural Void. It's like, I kind of really would like my opponent to not be able to charge me, you know? Um, so, Double Librarian's a great starting point. Watchmaster versus Captain um, versus something else entirely, I think, comes down to list construction. Real Ones is mandatory if you're taking Plasma Scepters. Like, there's no world where you're going to convince me you can be overheating Plasma Scepters and just dying, and that's fine. So, once we take Plasma Scepters, which I think are one of the best units in the game, you're locked into a captain or a watchmaster. So then the watchmaster versus the captain goes back to that debate I had a while back, which was, do I take a unit that requires a chapter master to kind of function, or do I not? Then there's also a lot of other thoughts. So if I'm not taking a unit that requires a chapter master to function, uh, maybe I don't need to take the brilliant strategist warlord trait from Dark Angels. If I don't take that, is there a warlord trait from a different chapter I could build around? Maybe, maybe not. Or there's the... Uh, there's some other really cool Warlord traits, too. One of them lets you take a special issue War Gear Relics, like your Mastercrafted or your Artificer Armor, things like that, and stack it with another proper Relic. So um, what you can do there is you could take like the Teeth of Care Terra and Mastercraft it, or you could take the Xenophase Blade from Codex Space Marines and Mastercraft it. So all these like high volume or good AP, good stat weapons that are just like low on the damage characteristic to get them balanced are now just plus one damage. So it creates a lot of potential for Smash characters instead. And yeah, the Chaplain could also fall into this, but uh, it comes back to the whole design philosophy. I don't want to go to double patrol. I certainly don't want more than a battalion. Um, so I, I am limited to those three HQs. And I'm, it's starting with double librarian. And if I'm taking plasma scepters, there's going to be real ones. So uh, do you take a smash captain type captain or do you take someone that is going to uh, use armor indomitus or something like that where you're going to make it survive longer? I actually, so I gave, and this is, I think, totally flex points. Uh, you don't have to spend your command points in this way whatsoever, but I actually gave armor indomitus to one of my librarians. Um, and I, I didn't take a smash captain in this, but I, you totally could. Like the mastercrafting any relic is really, really, really strong. Makes for some devastating smash captains. But I find Death Watch also has amazing relics. So Beacon Angelus is a relic you would also have to build around. Uh, let me just read it for you. Basically, it lets you take a unit of Death Watch infantry or bikers, so your entire army, and then if it's either in reserves already or on the battlefield and did not reserve arrive from reserves that turn, which is basically if you have a unit in your army that's alive, then you can remove it and put it within six inches of the bear more than nine inches away from any model. So it's basically like re-deep strike for a unit. So if you want to build around that, you could take a captain on a bike and zip him up 20 inches real far into your opponent's back lines on turn four or something. And then just take your plasma scepter unit that you've been like waiting in the lakes for and gaboosh, plasma scepters in your backfield. Also, they're going to scramble. So there's a lot you can do with that. Uh, the Dominus Aegis is an amazing, uh, amazing relic, which we also need to touch on. Uh, that's one of your bear saving throws because it replaces a storm shield or combat shield or anything like that. Um, and any Death Watch unit within six inches of it has a five up invulnerable save. So I don't need to reminisce about Breviathan and the power of five up, five up, but we are reliving it. Um, and uh, this also poses a lot of issues because in this design philosophy, if we're starting with Double Librarian, well, they can't take shields. A Watchmaster can't take a shield. So my options are if I want to take Dominus Aegis, I have to put it on a captain who has a storm shield, which really locks me into a certain type of build design because I'm taking Dominus Aegis, which means I'm not taking the Xenophase sword, 
or Teeth of Terror and Master Crafting it. I'm really taking Dominus Aegis, and that's kind of all this guy's doing. Or I take a lowly company champion for 55 points and upgrade his combat shield to this Dominus Aegis. So there's options. I'm not trying to say it's one or the other. But these are all things, these are the adventures I went on one day, and I'm sharing them with you. Well, with your captain, if you've got a, a jump hack or on a bike or whatever, then he's got some reactive speed or, or he's able to keep up with those inceptors or he's able to keep up with the other bikes or, uh, you know, just yeah, yeah. And again, the speed of the Watchmaster is a consideration. Right. Right. So Dominus uh, Aegis gives nearby units, did you say, a five up feel no pain? No, no, invulnerable, invulnerable. Okay, right. Gotcha. And then wow. the, the final relic I really liked is Tome of Ectoclades, which is um, once for battle in recommend phase, I can select a data sheet, not even just one unit, uh, a whole data sheet. So if someone has really spammed out one thing, it's going to suck to be them. Uh, and then until the next, my next command phase, so basically my turn in the following turn, my opponent's turn, all Death Watch units within six inches of the bearer will reroll wounds against that data sheet. So if you took Necron Warriors and took a hundred of them, my whole army just rerolls to wound for a turn. Oof, that's gross. Talk about punishing. You just punish the spam bots, right? Like you just punish the spam. And then you have all the anti-Xenos tech. Like there's so many strats and whatnot for just anti-Xenos. I don't even think we need to get into it, but you really the rules here are not inconsequential versus Xenos. Like, okay. So I just want to get into a thought here. Um, I think I'm going to change up our format a little bit. Yeah. Because we this has been a really, really good discussion about all the strengths and weaknesses of Death Watch and getting people primed to build a list. I think in part two, we'll actually build the list because we're at 50 minutes already. And <laughs> right. I, I think what's better, John, I was kind of coming up with this. I think we could edit this out, I don't, whatever you want to do. But um, I think the player should come in with a list they have written, much like I've come in with a list I have uh, written already and instead of starting the first two minutes of the podcast with here's the list here's why i did it start with the journey and finish with the list and then in part two we do the thing because right. now i can just unveil the current like this is what i created right sure yeah that that's fine so seamus go ahead and enter uh, edit this discussion out and then let's let's just drop back in here okay nick you've been telling us all this cool stuff about death watch what are you going to do with all of it? Like, you know, oh, you're going to, you're going to hold me accountable, John, and make me tell you what my list is. Well, I mean, yeah, I think, we've got a few, we've got a little bit of it. I've been taking notes. We've got a captain. We've got two librarians. We've got the apothecary and we've got two units that include five intercessors, five heavy intercessors and five plasma inceptors. Uh, and you wanted inf infiltrators in there as well. Uh, so, so here, here's the list. Um, you're absolutely right, Steve. Here's the list I played, uh, which takes a lot of the ideas that I talked about here, and then I'll talk about some changes I, I come up with for it. So it starts off with the captain on bike. He had a thunder hammer, a storm shield. He had the warlord trait, nowhere to hide, which was the ignores cover warlord trait. And then he took the warlord trait, additionally, paragon on the trapter to steal brilliant strategies from dark angels so I could make a unit go back a turn in devastator doctrine or tactical doctrine. And then he took the Dominus Aegis for that five-up invul. I took uh, two Primaris Librarians, the first of which has uh, Premorphic Resonance, which is that random, not random, but it's that useful buff power, makes you fight first, plus one in shooting, five Overwatch. And I lost it. And Mantle of Shadow, which is the you-can't-shoot-me thing. He also took Tome of Eclades, so I can just reroll to wound versus a unit. Then I took a Primaris Librarian. This is the one I made the Chief Librarian. Gave him the additional Warlord trait for Psychic Mastery, plus one to cast. Uh, this is the guy I just don't want feeling spells. He also gained an additional spell by becoming the Chief Librarian, so he's pretty useful. I gave him the Armor Indominus, because again, this guy is not allowed to die. At least not early and easy. Um, so I gave him Fortified con with Contempt, which is the 5 of Feeling of Pain Psychic Power. Neural Void, which is the fight last and minus one attack. So not, not fight last, fight charge only with the closest unit and minus one attack psychic power. And Mantle of Shadow, which is doubling down on the you can't shoot me psychic power. I took two big Proteus kill teams, which were consisted of five veterans, four of which had heavy bolters. One was the sergeant who had a thunder hammer and storm shield. Then three vanguard vets with lightning claws and storm shields. Then one Terminator with a Thunderhammer Storm Shield and a Biker with a Power Sword. So 
But these units were designed to combat squad down into the sergeant with, uh, sorry, into the Terminator with Thunderhammer Storm Shield, and then four heavy bolter dudes as one. And then the other was going to be three Vanguard vets, the bike to help it out a little bit with the speed and give it that fallback and charge stratagem. And the one sergeant with a Thunderhammer who tried to keep up and hit stuff. Two Indominus kill teams with uh, five heavy intercessors and five plasma inceptors, and then five infiltrators and two company vets and an apothecary, Primaris apothecary, to round it out. So that was the whole list. Um, the Primaris apothecary was, of course, the chief apothecary with selfless healer royal tree and the box of speardom for an extra three inches on his auras. Uh, I liked it a lot. This is exactly the style I wanted to play. The changes I'm considering here are turning. I don't know if I need the Heavy Bolters. Like, they're really good. AP2, Dev Doctrine, Heavy Bolters, ignores cover. Really, really great. They're really um, good in a Marine meta, right? If you They are. A that's, lot that's of Marines, right? Them. Yeah. One of those units is not terribly far off in points from that 10-man missile launcher squad with four Terminators, a Vanguard vet, and everyone's got a missile. I really did like having two of the of the fast of the units um the vanguard vets the bike and the, the sergeant man uh if anything i would want to go to three so turning one of these heavy bolter mixed units with the vanguards and bikes into a missile squad i probably won't go that route uh as though it'd be really helpful in certain matchups like admech which i did happen to play i mean you um, also have to upgrade your you'd have to switch to the chapter to the watch master the watch to the captain right? bike which really kind of rewrites the whole list unfortunately right so I think, if anything, I might reconsider the Heavy Bolters because that would let me get away from Nowhere to Hide and Brilliant Strategist as like Warlord Traits. And then I could open up a lot of Warlord Traits for Beacon Angelus where I could have that Smash Captain. I could take uh, a lot of other stuff too. You know what? One... I'm sorry. I was going to say, you know what? I feel like we, uh, you've, we've arrived at a list. I've got some questions about the list and obviously there are some changes you might make to it. Should we make that episode two? Should we, uh, should we go? Well, yeah. that's the list. That's the list we've got. That's that was the point of this episode was to arrive at that list, and then we can kick off episode two by starting with that list, and then talking about changes and different powers. And you know, I've got some questions about. Uh, I, I think units. that's how we want to go with it, but I'm open to discussion here. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fine. All right, so Alex, cut that out. Or not? Guy <laughs> uh, got confused for Seamus. Seamus. <laughs> All right, and then we'll just drop back in here. Okay, guys, that sounds like a really fun list. It's time for us to move to part two. And again, this is a new format for us. So in part two, we're going to talk about some more options for possibly changing the list. And then we're also going to talk about individual matchups once we settle completely on the changes, um, a finalized version, as it were. Uh, and then we'll, we'll talk about optimal play with the list, which I think will be really interesting with this particular list because there is a lot of options. Um, as always, you can catch episode two as a patron. So you can follow, find that at aow40k.com, or now you can go to theartofwar40k.com and you can sign up for the podcast and bundle that with other great offerings from the Art of War. Nick, did you want to say anything else? Yeah. So we are in a period of, of phenomenal change here at Art of War. We got a new stream house. We are trying a new podcast format to adapt to the times. We got so many things in the works behind the scenes. Um, we all we couldn't have done it without you. So I want to thank you all for your support. And we do really try to take your feedback into consideration and adapt and evolve to keep giving you guys the best experience with Art of War as you can. So please do give us your thoughts and feedback on this format. This is our first attempt at it ever. If you liked it, let us know. If you didn't like it, let us know. If you thought it had some good legs, but it could use work on these specific things, please Give us feedback. The more you help us, the more you give us to work with, the more we can tailor the experience to help you. And that's what we're here to do. We're, we are literally designed this podcast so that you guys can enjoy it. And there's no point in doing it if you don't. So let us know how to make it so that you enjoy it better. Okay. And before we go, Steve, why don't you tell everybody about your new podcast, when it's going to launch, who your first guest is, and what it's all about? Because I think it's pretty exciting stuff. Thank you so much for the opportunity to do that. It is called 40K Game Changers. It's interviews, in-depth interviews with people who've influenced the way we play or interact with or view or consume 40K. So uh, guest one, which will be mid-January, guest one is Lawrence Baker from Tabletop Tactics. We talk about, well, all sorts of things, how he got the name, the, the uh, nickname The Spider, his origins in acting school in Australia, 
through to where he is now and how COVID's affected him and the uh, the rest of the team. We've also got Mike Brandt on the show. We've got the guys from 40K Stat Center. We're talking to the one and only Nick Nanavati. Boy, did I learn some things. And we hear the Tom Brady story as part of that interview as well. <laughs> so uh, we're really looking forward to it launching mid-Jan and then it's once a week on the Frontline Gaming Network from there on in. All right, everyone. You heard it here first. It's going to be one of the best new content productions, I think, in all of 40K land. So make sure you check it out. Okay, we're out. Patrons, we'll see you in episode two. Everyone else, we'll catch you next week. All right, Steve, you got to hit stop. Like the strategy discussion you heard? Want to hear more about the tactics of this list? Sign up for our Patreon at AOW40K.com, where we go deep into details of optimal play. This has been Art of War, a strategy and tactics podcast for Warhammer 40K. Hosted by Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Produced by Seamus Ronan. Find us at AOW40K.com. And of course, connect on Facebook. Just look for AOW40K. 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 Till next time.